Now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. Ooh, people going to jail. <laughs> it's getting ugly. Allegedly, Dick. No, they're going to jail. <laughs> somebody's going to jail. I don't really care who it is, but somebody's going. Uh, yeah, welcome back, guys. Barstool Politics. Uh, I'm your host, Nick McGuire, uh, joined as always by my co-host, uh, Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Parker from Keene State College. Hi, guys. Hey, guys. Hey. What's up? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, just let that go for a while. Uh, before we get going, uh, usual stuff. If you like the podcast, have questions, comments, beer suggestions, anything like that, Follow us on uh, Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, beers that we try you can find on the Untapped app on iOS and Android. We're just Barstool Politics on there, so download that when you have a chance. Um, the pod- uh, wow. podcast itself you can find on SoundCloud and Stitcher, Google Play Music, uh, and a lot of other major podcasting platforms. Most of you guys are listening on iTunes, though, so review us and share us and like us on there because um, we appreciate that. If you weren't here last week, um, we announced a fun new partnership with uh, a company called Predicted, which is a real money political prediction market. So you can think of it as a, uh, a stock market for politics where you can buy and sell shares in future political events, which is really, really cool. And we're, we've all been playing around with it. I know you guys have been playing around with it more it's, than I've gotten a chance it's, to. It's fun and it's very addicting, too. <laughs> <laughs> Losing money already from what yes. I hear. <laughs> Oh, it's, a yeah. long, it's a long game, Nick. It's That's right. Game. Right. <laughs> and I will say it's been so, yeah, as Nick said, it's a, a futures market for politics. You can think of it as a stock market and you can buy shares in political outcomes. This week has been particularly fun because we've got a lot of the special elections and the primaries playing out. Uh, and so the closer you get to the actual election, the more exciting the market gets. So uh, I, was, I was telling the guys before we went on the air, this Ohio 12th district race, um, this is a, a race where a Republican has won for like the last 35 years. So like this is no go for Democrats. And this last couple days, the poll, the poll is, is there, like leveled out. And while the polling started to level out, we saw the same thing in the predicted market. So mm-hmm. uh, the so the Democrat is this guy named uh, Danny O'Connor, young uh, centrist Democrat. The Republican is Troy Balderson. And Balderson had this big lead, you know, uh, like a 10 percentage point lead. And suddenly you saw it drop. Now, I, I'm convinced that the Republican is going to win. So I bought shares in him right after I bought it. Like it just kept dropping and dropping. <laughs> I still think it's a good investment because I just I can't see this district, even given a potential blue wave. This one feels like it's going to stick, but we will find out on, uh, let's say, on Tuesday night. So if you're listening later in the week, you'll already know the results and how I did. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, what were you uh, what were you looking at this week in terms of markets? So I, I was saying I bought um, I bought shares in 
Uh, everything I bought shares in I've, has already gone down in value, so I've lost money on everything. But like I was saying, it's the long game. Yeah. So I, yeah, one of the things, for instance, I bought shares in uh, Trump being impeached by the end of his first term. Um, and my thought on that is that it's going to go if the Democrats take the House, that the sh the value of that's going to go way up. Yes. So I'm not I'm not necessarily convinced that he will be impeached, but. I think that it's likely that Democrats will take the House, at which point the value of that that uh, share is going to go way up. And I'm going to be rich. I'm going to take my $20 <laughs> investment and turn it into 25 <laughs> Well, that's a great thing about predicting as well, is that we're not talking about a lot of sums. You can get in there and have a lot of fun with a relatively small amount of money. What's really nice about it, though, is that even if you're using a small amount of money, uh, the guys over at Predict It were nice enough to offer uh, a, a fun little promo for our listeners. So any listener who uses the promo link, uh, our promo link, uh, when opening up a new account will receive up to a $20 match on their first deposit. So if you open up a $20 account, you will get a $20 match on that account. All you have to do is use the promo link, which is uh, it's on our uh, Twitter and Facebook, uh, any social media. Uh, just go to predictit.org slash promo slash barstool Paul P-O-L-2-0. It's predictit.org slash promo slash barstool Paul 20. So get free money. It's we'll, very nice. It's pretty great. Yeah, we'll share that on social media again yeah, this week. Yeah, absolutely. I signed my mother and father up for it yesterday, and it was really easy, and they you know, they matched the funds. And well, you got a hold of their credit cards? Yeah, That's exactly. Nice. Yeah. yeah, we made some good investments. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'm down $3, but really I'm up 17 because they gave me my match. <laughs> <laughs> Always looking on the bright yes. side. Um, yeah, let's let's do uh, uh, lots of people going to jail. All right, let's dive yeah. in. So, all right, to, to start this first topic, do you, you guys are old enough to remember the movie A Few Good Men, right? Absolutely. Okay. No, I'm far too young. All right, so the, those are... <laughs> Zach Efron in that one? I think so, yes. Oh, okay. Uh, there's this famous climactic uh, courtroom scene where Tom Cruise's character confronts Jack Nicholson's character, Colonel Jessup, on whether he'd ordered a code red on a soldier. There's this brilliant, aggressive dialogue between the truth, you know, uh, you can't handle the truth, I want the truth back. It's just, it's, it's a great movie, right? <laughs> Ultimately, Tom Cruise's character tricks, or more accurately bullies, Jack Nicholson into admitting that he ordered the code red. You're goddamn right, I did, right? So this is, I, I, I know. I'm pretty sure it was Jack Nicholson and not Jack Nicholas. He's the golfer. Still, that would right. have been funny. Right. Yes, that would have been better. Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry about that. Um, so, amazing ending, great movie. Well, we learned on Sunday that there's going to be no such dramatic courtroom confrontation necessary to get President Trump to admit his crimes. Why, you ask? Because he's going to tweet them out. He prefers to blurt everything out unprompted over Twitter. I'm, of course, referring to Trump's Sunday morning tweet in which he openly acknowledged that the infamous Trump Tower meeting with Russians was, in fact, a, an attempt to, quote, get information on an opponent. And just in case you were wondering, quote, totally legal and done all the time in politics. Trump closed the tweet by reminding us the meeting went nowhere and, quote, I did nothing about it or I did not know about it. So in just one tweet, he set the legal world on fire, appearing to provide support for both allegations of collusion and obstruction of justice. The tweet confirms that the administration was not truthful in July of 2017 when they stated Trump, the Trump Tower meeting was primarily about the adoption of Russian children. The fact that Trump opened, uh, opened the tweet by attacking the fake news brings us all full circle and reminds us that this was also the week that Trump doubled down on his view that the press is the, quote, enemy of the people. In a tweet an hour before his Trump Tower tweet, he stated, 
uh, stated that by correctly labeling the press the enemy of the people, he is, quote, providing a great service by explaining this to the American people. They, the press, cause great division and distrust. They can also cause war. War, Nick. <laughs> they are dangerous and sick. The end. The end. Phil, attacking the press, <laughs> tweeting out his crimes, causing war. This is all so exhausting. Where, where are you at? I, every week I continue to be, um, I, I think I can't be amazed. I can't be surprised by what happens this week. And I continue to be surprised. Um, it tweeted, I, yeah, I mean, I, tweeting, ahead, tweeting out that tweet that this was obstruction. I mean, that, that, you know, that it was about getting dirt. There's nothing illegal there. It was another tweet. Like you said, where you just, is, did this really happen? I hope I didn't yeah. say that out loud. Yeah, that's now. right. Exactly. <laughs> we, you know, Bill, you and I talked this week. We texted back and forth some about this sort of changing diet or this changing storyline that the Trump, and I feel like we, we talked about this last week, I think even yeah. um, this changing storyline from we didn't collude to collusion's not a crime. And I understand that from sort of a defense perspective, but it's insane to see him just outright. Like it's one thing to send that talking point out with Rudy Giuliani. It's another for the president to embrace it in such an open way to basic, yeah. not basically to openly say we met with the Russians to get information on um, Hillary Clinton's campaign. Like that, that's it. Like there have, yeah. there have been a number of instances of this in the, you know, in the year and a half that he's been president in which, you know, the, the interview he did on TV in which he basically said that he fired James Comey because <laughs> yes. he wanted the Russian thing shut down um, where he's very overtly said the thing that he shouldn't be saying. Um, it, and it's one of those that's a little surprising that people continue to, you know, ask these questions about whether did collusion actually occur or not. The man's openly admitting it on Twitter in a time when we know that Robert Mueller is looking at his Twitter account for evidence of collusion or really more so evidence of obstruction of justice. It, <laughs> his lawyer's are not doing a good job. I, I, I don't think any lawyer could control him, that's right? I mean, that's true. the thing. There's nothing. And so the this week there was lots of talk about collusion and 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 the reality, like the the Trump Trump is right when he says collusion is not a crime, but conspiracy is, right? And so conspiracy is the idea of an agreement by two or more people to commit a crime, and it is in fact a crime to cooperate with somebody else of you know outside of the country a, to intervene in the election. That is a, it, a crime. It, it's a violation of campaign finance. Yes. Law. You can't you can't take aid from a foreign country during that. Yeah. Right. So conspiracy, I mean he's he's essentially admitting to that. That's what we were doing. But he didn't know anything. <laughs> right. right. But may, even if he didn't know about it, he's throwing his son under the bus, Don Jr., yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Details. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and then that's not even mentioning the the whole obstruction of justice where there he dictates Trump dictates that first response to to news of this saying by saying no no it's just it was about adoption yeah Russian adoption nothing to see here uh, so collusion or conspiracy and obstruction of justice well, potential he also went back and said or or um, the statement that he said that Don Jr. originally wrote he's now saying that he was responsible for yes. correct yes it's just <laughs> Jesus dude it's so bad <laughs> right because you oh. Because they lied about that. The initial wave said that, uh, first of all, that he didn't know about it, and then that he didn't have any role in crafting that statement. But then, uh, apparently, with some document that they shared with the special counsel, 
the Trump administration admitted that they or the lawyers admitted that he in fact dictated this. Mm. So he told them to talk about or say that it was about adoption, which again is it appears to be obstruction of justice at that point. Mm-hmm. So somebody somebody put out this week the uh, New York Times at one point published the the emails back and forth between Don Jr. and the guy who was arranging the meeting. This you know the year ago meeting or right. whatever this was two years Ar- ago Ar- this meeting occurred. His name is yeah. Um, it all came out a year ago or whatever, but somebody retweeted it this week and I went back and reread that email exchange and it's so incredibly damning. Like it's obvious, like the guy is saying Russia has information on Hillary we think you'd be interested in. And Don Jr. says, that sounds great. And the other guy says, I would take it straight to your dad, but I figure he's busy. I'll talk to you first. And Don Jr. says, yeah, this is wonderful. I'm thrilled. Like it's so blatantly obviously obvious that they knew what they were doing, that they knew what they were getting into. And then for it to follow up with these denials about that's not what it was about it was about adoption and then you know backing down from that it was but it's not a crime to do that who wouldn't do it they didn't think the emails would get out phil here's the thing and like we've talked about there's an irony there like do you do you really think that they did it knowing what the consequences of that were or do you think they were dumb enough to not realize that this was a legitimate crime that they could be indicted for later on it's a great question and i I saw somebody interview today it was the campaign chairman for i can't think of his name it's steve schmidt uh for mccain during his presidential campaign they asked him this should Donald Trump have known? Now, this guy can't stand Donald Trump, but he said, absolutely. He said, anybody who's involved in campaigns, he said, I don't care if it's a Democrat or a Republican for the Obama administration, Kerry, whoever it is, everybody knows this. I don't know if that necessarily applies to the Trump yahoos, though. Those guys didn't know anything. They should have. Not knowing doesn't get you out of the crime, though. Ignorance That's the other is no thing. excuse, yes. right? <laughs> well, uh, so I- Go ahead. I didn't mean well, to the other thing I was going to say, you know, you were mentioning those emails. Uh, the, it was I was reading those as well this week, and in that email, one of them that was sent to Don Jr., I, the guy, the Russian contact, says that this is this is part of our support and the Russian support for the Trump campaign. Right. And right. so we've had these long conversations about who does Putin want to win, and you go back to the original document and you say, oh. We should have known this from the get-go. Well, Russia is a very multifaceted place <laughs> right. with lots of different political opinions that are very, you know, freely expressed all the time. But again, even this week, Trump again said, "Well, oh, Russia, Russia didn't want me in office." I mean, it's like it's a bizarro world. Um, and, and and he continues to double down on the whole collusion's not a crime, but Hillary committed collusion with the right, Russians and should right. be in jail. Yes, it, it's now here's the here's an interesting legal question: Is that even if conspiring? with a foreigner to impact an election you know conspiracy is indeed a crime would nobody's ever in the past been charged with getting dirt from somebody else like would they is is that what Mueller is really going to push him on something a chart a crime that's never been officially charged i would think he's got to have more yeah that if he, can't be it if it's but, just the this little bit of dirt and that's the first time that you're really making this. No, so I want to I want to yeah. push back a little okay. bit because this is a weird this is a weird like sort of talking point that has emerged that this is a little bit of dirt. Yeah, he a, a foreign country who wanted to undermine our elections and who was not just hacking political, um, uh, not just people running for office, but was breaking it like hacking into electoral database election databases and getting you know and targeting ads on Facebook like they were looking to harm American democracy approached someone running for president and said we want to help you and they said yeah that sounds great that's not a little piece of dirt right that's a huge thing and the fact that it hasn't been enforced in the past is not because 
30 presidents have done this and no one has ever like pursued it. It's that this is such an unprecedented thing that I, I, I think that I think it's a mistake to sort of downplay it as this is no big deal because it's you know never been prosecuted in the past. I think the reason these laws are put into place are for these sorts of instances. Especially, and the other thing, now that you're talking, it makes me think about it. If if the Trump administration, if Don Jr. or uh, Donald himself knew that this was from these hacked emails, so if they knew that initial crime, because obviously hacking into the DNC and John Podesta's emails, that's a crime. If they knew this information was gathered from an illegal act, I think you're. I guess you're right. Then that does so, drift into a much bigger mm-hmm. criminal let, activity. Let me, let me put an analogy out yeah. there because people keep drawing parallels to to Watergate. So what happened with Watergate is someone physically broke into, you know, the the yeah. the rival headquarters and took information, and the president wasn't there. The president didn't do the breaking in, but they knew of it and tried to cover it up and. And it's the, you know, the biggest political scandal in American history that we tend to think of hacking as like whatever. But it's the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's breaking in and stealing information. So if if Watergate had occurred and it were the Russians that had broken in to Watergate, not Nixon's own people, but the Russians had broken in and then called Nixon and said, hey, we broke in and we found all this information. Do you want it? And Nixon said, yeah, it would be an even bigger scandal. That's true. It's much ways, worse. Right? That it's like, and so that's it. I think part of it is that we think of hacking. We've gotten so used to this idea of hacking and that our information isn't secure that we don't think of that as like the same sort of category as breaking and entering. But it is. It's like the new version of breaking and entering. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, I do. I do think that Mueller is politically savvy to understand the dynamics going on here. And if he's going to bring something against the president, it would have to be something that he can clearly show that this is not just a an accidental mistake by Don Jr. that he didn't know. Uh, it's, it's going to have to be more weighty. And, and I, I tend to think, given looking back on all of this, that it's going to be there. Whether it reaches to Trump himself, but Don Jr. is in a whole heck of a lot of legal trouble right now. Kushner, who's who's kind of hiding now, he's probably involved in all of this as well. And we're seeing Manafort literally going through the process himself. Well, so. yeah, that's the thing. We would not be talking about these other cases or indictments if uh, Mueller was not concerned with creating an airtight case. I, I do think that there's... there's If that was his, his smoking gun, there's enough... I... I it's a it's a very delicate wrinkle when we're talking about getting dirt on political opponents because I think that opens up a whole different can of worms, especially in D.C. and national politics and international politics, where it's oh, that's interesting. Um, it's a game that's played that nobody agrees with, but everybody does. Yes. So I don't necessarily know if it's worth the political firestorm that's going to come after that and use that as your your main weapon in this particular situation. I absolutely agree that it's an important factor. Yeah. It definitely can't be the main factor, mm. though. So I I, I I, totally agree in that this happens all the time in D.C., and there, it's kind of the dirty side of politics in some ways. But there, I also want to like reiterate that there's a difference between because the analogy has been brought up about steel, a lot of people have said, like, the, you know, how can you get worked up about this if you're not worked up about the steel dossier right. in which Hillary Clinton hired a guy to find him, dig up information? Well, there is a difference between hiring someone to do background research on a person and 
having a foreign country right. who is trying to undermine your election come to you and say, we stole this information illegally. <laughs> right, right. Do you want it? And so I, it, I mean, it, it's hard. It's, there's lots of shades of gray here, but I think I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to people to lose sight of how significant what happened is just because there are other kind of shitty things that happen in D.C. Right. Which, which isn't to say that the process of digging up uh, opposition research the way that, uh, you know, uh, Fusion GPS conducted their, themselves like that happens all the time. That, that's not to say that that's right. Uh, but what what the Russians did is another level. When you're talking about a foreign right. government directly engaging a campaign, that's different than two campaigns, or that's different from both the Republicans and the Democrats both giving money to Fusion GPS to gather dirt on Trump. Like it's 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 a it's a significant difference there. So go ahead, Dick. I, yeah, I, 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 I I understand the implications and the severity of what's going on in this particular situation. It's still. It, it bothers me in, in any regard that there's there's an entire industry, whether it's domestic or international, that is based around digging up dirt on political candidates. Yeah. And that, that's it. That's all they do. And yeah. we pay huge sums of money for that. Whether it's stolen or it's clandestinely acquired or something like that with, you know, extensive research, it's it's just shitty. This is not the way the game should be played. Right. No, I think that's a fair point. And, and some have suggested that the special counsel's investigation may expose just how much of this happens. Well, then we're in trouble. Right. It may put some pressure on these politicians to, to come up with laws to limit some of that, to put some regulations. So, you know, which is right. what also happened after the Nixon uh, Watergate and all mm-hmm. of that. There were regulations to, to rein some of this in, to not necessarily fix it, but to calm some of it down. Mm-hmm. Somebody, I saw somebody point out this week that, you know, the Manafort's going down, right? Yeah. But all of the corruption that has been revealed about, even if you take Trump out of it, about Manafort and, and people sort of around Manafort and Flynn and all of all of the people, if they had if they hadn't engaged in a national presidential election, this stuff probably would not have. I mean, they probably yes. would have continued to get right. away with it, and they'd been doing it for a long time. So part of the thing to remember is how probably extensive this sort of corruption is in general. That doesn't mean we should look the way, look the other way when we see, you know, we have hard evidence of these particular people. But yeah, I mean, it, it is, it is telling about the nature of power politics and who, you know, who is involved and even that just like sort of big business and in, in the level of corruption that's involved in these things. Mm-hmm. Tip of the iceberg. That's really what we're seeing here is the mm-hmm. tip of the iceberg. And if, if the Trump campaign and administration was at all good at hiding any of this, it never would have been exposed mm-hmm. there. I mean, it's a circle back to the starting with, you know, Trump just tweets this stuff out. If they knew how to keep a secret, Nick, this would be, they could probably, probably be fine. Yeah. They're not very good so, at, no. at all. Sure. So <laughs> go ahead. Well, we should we should shift gears a little bit because I want to talk about the press. Yes, absolutely. That's what I was thinking on. too. But yeah, the enemy of the people. We, before we do that, you were talking a minute ago about whether Trump knew that or people around Trump knew this was um, illegal or whether this was a problem. Yeah. Um, and and that's a, that provides a transition to the to the press thing because the press was reporting that Trump was concerned that Don Jr. found himself in legal basically ended up doing something illegal accidentally that he didn't plan to do this that was not his intention he was unaware that it was wrong to do it um daddy i accidentally committed some crimes yeah so i want to i want to go down that road towards the press but i also want to you know one of the things that i've tried to argue in previous weeks is that trump is a man who has lived his life without consequences and i wonder how much of it is not that he didn't know it was illegal 
but that he's done illegal stuff for his whole life and hasn't faced consequences. So it's the idea that it's not that he didn't that he didn't realize it was illegal. It was that, you know, you don't get. You, yeah, you do. Yeah, it's illegal. But you do these things, right? They, they happen. You know, that's how you do business. It's the normal way of life. So I, I kind of want to make the argument that it's not that they were ignorant. It's that they didn't they never imagined that the consequences that are coming would actually come mm-hmm. for their actions. I think that's an important point because of all of the the legal trouble that Trump had gotten into as a private citizen. I mean, he was in court all the time, but that always worked out. You know, you worked out a deal. Sometimes you paid. Sometimes you countersued. You always found a way out of it. And there was never the thought that you would go to jail, maybe a little bit of a fine. Uh, This is very different. You declare bankruptcy and you start over. Yeah. You can't do that when when you're facing federal (laughs) corrupt. Doesn't that give you a little bit of faith in the institutions that they're strong enough to, to suss this stuff out? At, all, at this kind of level? It doesn't for me, but I thought I'd put it on the table. <laughs> I still have a lot of faith in the special counsel. I, I, I think what they're doing is really, really important. I, I know that there's lots of criticism of them out there, but I still like I, I think what Mueller brings forward, if it's well done, it will be an important step for the democracy to kind of put us back in a, in a better place. It doesn't fix everything, Nick, but, no. you know, it, it, it's not as bad. So we should go. To, we should. We got a few minutes. We should talk about the enemy, the people stuff. This has been an ongoing issue for months with Trump, but the the pace uh, that he's saying this is much more frequent. Last week, uh, Sarah Sanders, the press secretary, was pressed uh, by the uh, the press corps to say, "Will you reject that the press is the enemy of the people?" Uh, and she didn't do it. She kind of hemmed and hawed. She was pressed multiple times. Yes, uh, and and wouldn't acknowledge that. And that was, you know, for many reporters, that was a big deal. Maybe a little bit of history on this. This term, enemy of the people, does not have a good history. I mean, this goes back to the French Revolution and Robespierre. Stalin used Stalin, like crazy. Nazis, Mao, uh, Hugo Chavez in Venezuela. And in fact, when you talk about Stalin, I was reading this earlier today. It was when Khrushchev came in power, he, t- he said, we can't say that anymore. He was right. basically That's like, bad. it's That's really, really bad. It was used for all these terrible political purposes. Uh. So when Khrushchev is saying we shouldn't use this phrase, it... It should be setting off alarms for us that this is this is problematic. <sighs> Phil, it, it, no, yeah, I mean it's, I, I mean it's deeply disturbing. I, I mean I can understand, I can see why it's happening. Right, the the press is reporting stories that do not reflect positively on Trump, yeah. and so the way you undermine those stories coming out about. Manafort and about whether Don Jr. committed a crime and whether he committed a crime is to undermine the messenger, right? So to undermine the free press and to undermine their perception of, um, of, well, the the idea that they, you know, if you if you can make an argument that they're biased or that they have an end goal in mind, then you undermine their credibility. And so I understand why he's doing it, but it it is shocking. It's shocking to see a president do this. This is, you know, the idea of one of he he has sworn to uphold the Constitution and freedom of the press is an important part of the Constitution. It's been recommended, uh, recognized since the beginning of the country. So I, who who was it? It was uh, Lindsey Graham. I don't I don't like Lindsey Graham all that much. <laughs> I, it really depends. He day to day he like shocks me and and he's been you know he originally was very critical of Trump then he sort of came around and they've become golf buddies but he said something about I don't know if you saw this quote yeah. about how um, the the press can be a real pain in the ass but they're not enemies of the people right they're there to to provide transparency and to report on what's happening and 
And, you know, that that's the thing. You can be irritated at the media. You can be frustrated that they're reporting bad stories on you. But that's different than attacking the institution of a free press. And no president is going to like the press. I mean, Nick, you've talked about this, that the Obama administration hated dealing with the press. And, you know, we're like a, a brick wall to try to get information. Yeah, the press wasn't really pleased with them either. Yeah, <laughs> but you have to be careful. I mean, same thing with George W. Bush, right? There was lots of animosity between the press and the Bush administration. But every, all of them accepted that the press had a right to exist and provides a function. And part of their job is to poke and to push and to make the president feel uncomfortable. That's just the nature of the beast. I... Yeah, I, I mean, this is a, a theme that we come back to all the time, and we've kind of we we talked about it last week to some extent. Um, these are these are people that are not used to these positions. When we talk about the Sarah Sanders thing, it's I understand why she wouldn't blatantly come out and completely oppose what the president said. You can't do that in that position, or you're going to lose your job. Like it's, and I don't think she wants to. I think she wants to be part of the administration. It's it's just. It's bad for you personally and professionally, and you know you can stand on that soapbox and say whatever you want, but in the end, it's not going to end well for you, and it's going to make the administration look even worse. So there's no point in doing that, whether you agree with it or not. I, like on top of that, I I think the viewpoint that they're coming from is, to some extent, some members of the administration, yes, there is absolute freedom of the press. It's you know it's an institution in the United States and you know, it's 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 hollowed. It's it's something that should be respected. The way that it's organized now is not the way that the press historically has operated. They're giant multi-billion-dollar corporations that are headed by individuals that have political bias and are subject to specific leanings. Whether you're talking about from the left or the right, and you can definitely see it on the right when you know there's broadcasts that are saying the exact same thing on you know different stations all over the country and you can obviously see it on the left as well i think that it's this kind of monumental shift in the way that the press operates and how that they're perceived and you know the voraciousness that we intake information and the need to come up with something that we're going to take in but that also could potentially mean that that agenda gets into the mix more and more as time goes on so yeah, I, I agree. There should not be any limitations on the press, quote unquote, as an institution. The way that it operates now, I think a lot of people have a problem with and to some extent have are, are they're, they're right in their assumptions. I think so, there's... Oh, go ahead, Phil. What? <laughs> no, I, there, this is an example of two things can be true, right? I think everything you're saying is accurate, but I Thank also you. think there's a difference between the president getting up and saying there are some real structural problems with the press today right. that, you know, that lead to, to, you know, divisiveness and partisanship. And, you know, there are some issues that we, that should be addressed and that are problematic and, and complaining about like how, you know, MSNBC and Fox news, like s cement people in their views. And, and, you know, there's a difference between saying that and scapegoating and demonizing the entire like field of the press by saying that they are the enemy of the people. Right. And so that, that's the thing that, you know, it would be I, in some ways it would be great if a president stood up and called out the media on some of these issues that they are, you know, corporately funded and they're wanting to make money. And so they're trying to get ratings. And so they're saying the thing that is the most popular or whatever that that's that's fine. And but it's also the, the problem with casting the entire media in the light of like Fox News or MSNBC. Mm -hmm. Right. So New York Times and and 
and you know Washington Post and you know the Atlantic and you know the the you know Wall Street Journal even like the, these are these are different types of of journalism than Fox News which is more sort of infotainment and so that's the you know when you sort of cast this wide net that's where it it yeah you undermine it's an attack not on the press it's an attack on like transparency and truth and and these other you know aspects about you know accountability i guess really i should say not truth accountability mm -hmm. but the critique that both of you are which are, are leveling and i think those are fair critiques of the press is not the critique that donald trump is is pushing what donald trump wants is all news to be Fox News. Mm -hmm. And that's not helpful either, right? I mean, because he is critical of any news agency that is not promoting his agenda. And that's not the job of the press, to promote right. your agenda. Now, if Fox wants to do that, that's their choice. Uh, so I don't know. I, 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 get, I don't think that he is, is helpful at all in, in, a criti in critiquing the press. I mean, he just wants to get rid of any kind of objective reality. It's all opinion journalism. And that's deeply troubling. And I, I, I would hold... I hold him accountable, but I also think Sarah Huckabee Sanders needs to pull him aside and say, you know, I, I know you don't want me to say this, but you need to come out and say the press is not the enemy of the people. Uh, John Kelly, the chief of staff, somebody has to pull him aside and say, this phrase is deeply problematic. You can push the press, you can critique them, but this is, this is a, to another level. Brett Stevens, uh, the uh, conservative opinion writer for the New York Times, came out this week and had a piece where he said, you know, he's getting death threats now at the New York Times. And he said, this is something that hasn't happened before. And that if Trump doesn't change his rhetoric, somebody is going to walk into a newsroom and shoot up a bunch of people for political reasons. And Trump will have blood on his hands because because he's encouraging this environment. And it was interesting to hear a conservative uh, make that argument to say that, it, you know, there are certain places you just don't go. And, and I'm I'm sympathetic to that argument. The, the question is when that breaking point comes, because mm -hmm. Lindsey Graham can speak out about this. Jeff Flake can complain about it. But, you know, Corker can complain about it. But any one of them, like the Senate, the, the vote is the, the majority is so small that any one of them could bring a stop to his whole agenda. They could stop the, the confirmation of his Supreme Court nominee. They could they could bring to a halt all sorts of things that he is trying to get passed. It just requires backbone to stand up and and yes, consequences face that you might get voted out of office. You're you know, the Trump supporters might hate you. But if it's really that important to you, then do something about it rather than just saying this is concerning. Yeah. Is it more important to you? Is that more important to you or you being cemented in a position for 30 or 40 years and mm -hmm. having that be your life and then your legacy is just going to be completely dismantled because you decided to again quote unquote stand up for your principles and oh i don't know freedom of the press and i'm joking paul, paul ryan gave an interview yeah, it's, it's yeah. just it's yeah i i it's why stop the gravy train when you don't have to, especially when you're in power. No, like, I, I completely agree with you. All of these people should be doing that. But it's right. never going to happen in the system that we've put in place. I'm sorry. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. I, Paul Ryan gave an interview this week where he essentially said that. He said that there are times I want to push back, but it's not going to be productive. I could go out and, and stand and, and say this is, you know, you've gone too far, Mr. President. But he is his, I don't necessarily agree with him, but his argument was it's not going to change anything. It's just going to turn into a, a division within the party. Um, and again, I, I tend to agree with Phil. I think there are more Republicans who have to stand up. But I understand why so many don't, because individually it's costly mm -hmm. and they feel like they can't make a difference. But that that's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
like to, but what he is prioritizing is the individual cost, mm -hmm. right? I will pay a price if I stand up for what's right. And the other, like there will be division within the party that that's conceit. So if you believe that what Trump is doing to the Republican Party is damaging, not just for the party, but for the country to say that division would be worse than handing it over to him is like, that's nonsense. That doesn't make sense. I, I, it's frustrating for me. I, 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 this would be true of any party, but the Republicans who 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 push so hard on this idea of, you know, doing the right thing and individual morality and you make a stand even if you pay a price for it. And to see people like Paul Ryan basically saying that it would be pointless. And so I'll just go along with it seems to go against all of their rhetoric. Like, I, I don't I, as long as there are 50 individuals in the Republican Party who are saying it's pointless then it won't make a difference. Mm -hmm. But if all of those 50 individuals who have a problem would stand up, it might divide the Republican Party, but it also might bring a stop to these things that they say are so terrible for the country. If you really believe that his attacks on you know, immigrants or his attacks on um, uh, the press are problematic, then say it. And that's what being a politician is about. Say what you think. I mean, that's what being a politician should, should be, be about. about. Yes. You say what you believe, and then people, if they vote you out of office, fine. I, I, but yeah. it's this whole idea of you say the right thing to get elected. But but then, of course, nobody stands up if you're only worried about what people, what the voters think. Well, I, I mean, not only that, if you do that and create that division, you've pretty much handed authority of the government over to the opposing party for probably the next 20 or so years. I, I, I mean, it, a division that deep would cause such a, a tumultuous shift in the political power structure of national politics. It would be, it's political suicide. You would never, ever see it happen. Again, completely agree it should. It, yep, it won't yeah, happen. Yeah. That, that's the core. Of, I mean, that's the that's the problem here. I, I, did you did either of you see the story that was going around of the two old guys at the... the old, yes. To older guys yeah. at the Trump rally that had the shirts on that say, I'd rather be a Russian than a Democrat, yes. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the sentiment, right? That that the idea that the Democrats being in power is worse than essentially the destruction of these core ideals that are fundamental to our country, that's the mentality that has gotten us to this point, right? And and it's on the other side as well. I, the, the idea that if Republicans controlled things, that's worse than the collapse of the country itself <laughs> or that it's equivalent to the collapse right. of the country. Um, I, I think that Fox News and whatnot, I think that sentiment is stronger on the Republican side than on the Democrat side, but I think it exists in both places. But that's the problem, right? This idea that, hey, we disagree, but we're all Americans and we want what's best for the country is it's like just gone. Yeah, it's spiraling. This we is should, depressing. We should, really we should talk beer. It'll it'll bring us back. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> what, do you, what do you have in? So last week we talked about um, Treehouse Beers, yeah. the, the brewery in Massachusetts that's uh, pretty hard to come by. And, and you and I both had, all three of us had Treehouse Beers and were raving about them. I had another Treehouse Beer tonight. Um, uh, Tornado, it's an Amer their American Pale Ale. Uh, and again, I mean, I don't need to go on because we talked last week. It, it, was, it was just fantastic. Mm -hmm. It was just really, just <laughs> really good across the board. They make good beer. Great. Good, really good beer. Awesome. We are again this week drinking uh, beers from a uh, family uh, of mine in Boston who brought us some wonderful beers. The first one Nick and I had was from Lost Nation Brewing, which brewing uh, brewing out of Vermont. Uh, Gusa? Uh, Gosa. Gosa. I screwed it up. I, I feel like I have to tell my story. Before we went on the air, Bill was like, I read, and it says that it's like Rosa, but with a G. 
And so to Bill, Rosa with a G apparently is Gusa. <laughs> just can't get past, can't get past it. Uh, so it is a ale brewed with sea salt and coriander. And I'll tell you, Nick, we both had, we sampled this. This is a weird beer. It is a little weird. It is. It's different. You you get that salty flavor to it. Oh yeah. Um. I yeah. I I liked it, but it was definitely different. I wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, it was you know you eat certain things and you can kind of taste that strong salty flavor and that's what this has. Yeah, uh, it's very light and very carbonated. Yes, um, which I I thought would kind of tone down the saltiness a little bit. Didn't really tone it down that much. No, it's it's there. Yeah, uh, it is. Uh, it's drinkable. It's a light beer that way. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's a it's a very distinct flavor. You could fit so. a lot in. Yeah. If you want. Is it salt to. salty like you're biting into a like a big pretzel like that sort of like it's like hits you. A little bit, yeah. Not not that not bad like that. If it was pretzel flavored, it <laughs> yes. might be. Yeah, that would be good. It was a it was a fun beer to try. I'm glad we had it, but it was very a very different beer. But that's yes. the point, right? We're trying different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what All right, we and do. then our second one, we had a cider. Nick and Alethea brought us a cider. Yeah, it's uh, who's the is it Artifact? Probably? I believe so. Yeah, Artifact uh, Cider Project. Um, so this was uh, by any other name, it's a craft cider with black currants. Um, it's 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 pink. Yeah, it's pink. It's like really pink. It's really really yeah. pink. Um, as far as ciders go, I kind of like this one. I do too. It had a kind of a light. Um, I almost got a little bit of a cherryness to yeah. it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Not overly carbonated, which kind of kind of ruins ciders for me, and not super sweet either. I I I liked it personally. They describe this as dry, pink, crisp cider with sweet floral aromas. And I think that's spot on, right? Mm-hmm. It is. It's uh, it's not a heavy cider. Uh, they say perfect with brunch, dinner, and all day in between. Mm. I would like to have this with brunch. I would like to have it all day in between. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so no, but these these were good. Uh, yeah. I, I like that we're trying different beers. Yeah. If you guys have uh, suggestions um, or curious about things that we try on the podcast, um, hit us up again on Twitter, Barstool Paul P O L. Um, What's that? Uh, untapped. Why untapped. Can't I, yeah. Never remember. That, that's the. Mm. Um, yeah, check us out on there. iOS and Android. There's an app. Uh, we're just Barstool Politics. Uh, bar, uh, wow, Barstool Politics on there. Uh, all the beers that we try are on there uh, with reviews. I think you can send suggestions, but I'm not really sure. I keep telling people to do that, yeah. and I haven't seen one come in yet. That's but um, well, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. So please do that. All right, speed round. We went long in that first one, so we'll try to be efficient for speed round, Nick. All right. Uh, So we're going to start with, you know, we hit on this a little bit, but we're going to start with the Manafort trial. So Rick Gates, the former right-hand man to Paul Manafort, President Trump's campaign chairman, testified Monday and Tuesday uh, in Manafort's trial on bank and tax fraud charges. He walked prosecutors through a clinical examination of both how he and Manafort engaged in illegal financial activity, specifically hiding millions in income to avoid taxes. The case pits two of Mr. Trump's former senior campaign aides, men who worked together for decades against each other in a high-stakes battle that could land either or both of them in prison for years. And one thing that jumps out is that both of these guys are just criminals, right? They're both (laughs) so corrupt. Um, So the the trial is separate from the investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election, yet it's clear that President Trump is not feeling good about any of this. Uh, Phil, you served time for money laundering. Uh, What's your take on the Manafort trial? What are you you feeling about all this? Um, I mean, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how this continues to unfold. But, you know, beyond the, the, the I mean, the thing that was in the news yesterday or I guess this morning that was such a big thing 
was that uh, Rick Gates testified very, I guess it was yesterday, very directly that, you know, he was asked, did you commit crimes with Paul Manafort? And he says, yes, like that. <laughs> Tri- in my mind, trials aren't that straightforward. <laughs> yes. yes, I'm very criminal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and Gates, I guess, ad- admitted to stealing money from Manafort as well. And um, I, this seems... I, I so I am I am not a legal expert. I'm not an attorney. This seems really bad for Paul Manafort. A number of attorneys seem that I've seen on Twitter have talked about how you shouldn't assume that this means that Manafort will be convicted. But this this seems bad. <laughs> I don't see how this can be interpreted as good in any way. <laughs> no. They also had a, an accountant, I believe, from the consulting firm that yeah. they operated, uh, who was granted immunity, who's giving them a lot of additional yes. information on both of uh, uh, Gates and uh, Manafort, which is really not good. No. When they start throwing immunity around, oh, oh shit, all it's, bets are off. You know, Capone, it was when the accountants come in that got him in trouble. Same thing yeah. here. And I heard somebody this morning talking about the fact that they probably... There's enough documentation here. The special counsel has the enough information. You probably don't need Gates, but Gates coming in and saying, "Yes, I was a criminal. He's a criminal. We're all big criminals." Is that kind of is that that final punch to really push this over the edge? Uh, and this is not all good information for Gates either. He's forced to admit all the criminal activity he get engaged in. Today, apparently, he admitted that he also had an affair. Uh, so I mean, this is not this is not great for him, and he's still looking at five to six years in prison if he does everything perfect. Yeah, that's uh, after cooperating to, with exactly, the yeah. <laughs> Which to go back to this, you know, the the arguments about man about uh, Mueller taking a long time and and evident, if if Gates is willing to get on the stand and testify, I'm a criminal and I had an affair and I'm going to go to jail for five years. <laughs> yes. That in order to do that, you have to have. I mean, there has to be some pretty airtight evidence against him right to get him to 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 do this i what so i have <laughs> i i have a couple of questions and i don't if, if it's not time to change gears yet you can tell me but i i'm curious about what we've talked a little bit about what Mueller's goal is here what's he trying because this isn't about it's about corruption and it has ties to russia but it's not about russian interference in the election per se what's his goal what's what's he doing here by setting manafort up the other question I have is, why is Manafort going through with this? Like, it seems it seems really bad. He's going to go to prison. He hasn't struck a deal. Maybe one hasn't been offered, but he hasn't pled guilty. He doesn't seem, I mean, he's fighting this to the end, even though it looks really bad. Why would he do that? So to the first question, I think there's a couple potential answers there. One, what you hear people talking about is that by... You know, working Manafort and putting him in jail potentially for the rest of his life. At some point, he'd be willing to flip. So as the try, and again, you don't have to get him to flip early. Sometimes witnesses don't flip until right before the verdict or even after the verdict, right. where they suddenly say, "Okay, I'll give you that information." So that still may be coming. So the speculation is that well, maybe he's gonna he's gonna threaten to put uh, Manafort away for the rest of his life. At which point, Manafort will come around and say, "Oh, here's the scoop on Trump." That's one. I, I also think if I'm Mueller. And I can put away a guy who's engaged in clear criminal activity, is a bad, bad guy, and he was high up in the Trump administration I mean, the campaign. If I can put somebody like that away for the rest of their life, that's, that's a win. Whether or not you get at the president or get anybody else, you can say that this investigation was worthwhile because a couple of guys, specifically Gates and Manafort, have gone away. So I don't think you have to get Manafort to flip 
for this to be a successful prosecution. Well, I'm sure it, send a, it sends a message, too, to anyone yeah. who has ties to him. And God knows the president can't keep his mouth shut when it comes <laughs> to this stuff. It's... I, I don't know. Like, we talked about it previously. I uh, Like you mentioned, it's it's difficult to determine when or if someone is going to flip. I think with if Gates is going away for the time he's going away and is providing the information that he's providing along with other witnesses, it's pretty likely that something is going to happen to Manafort. And if that happens, he's not going to... He's he, again. He's I, we talked about it last week. He's almost seventy. Like he's not yeah. going to not flip on someone if the option is there and it you know allows him to have some measure of freedom going forward. You know he may not have the money. I'm sure he has some money that they haven't found yet. It's it's. Oh, go ahead. No. I, okay. It's also possible that he doesn't have anything on Trump. So I think we always, we just assume that Trump engaged in some kind of criminal activity, which he might have. But maybe Manafort doesn't know anything about it. So maybe he's not got nothing to flip on Trump for or whatever he's got Mueller already knows so I they're great questions I don't know where are you what are you thinking Phil I uh, yeah I'm not I'm not real sure um I mean I suppose that that convicting Paul Manafort does in fact help build credibility for the Mueller investigation right it's yeah. something that is sort of apolitical it's not it's a crime that you can prove and and set up and and it's not as hot of a topic in terms of whether Mueller is biased or not so maybe that's part of it I think the interesting question is and I know we're out of time is is about why Mueller's not why he's just going through with this cuz it doesn't it doesn't look good why Manafort um, isn't taking a deal Sorry. Yeah, yeah. That's what did I say? Mueller. I mean, yeah. yeah. Why Manafort is going through with this. So um, it's possible. I think part of it possibly that he hasn't been offered a deal. I think that's part of it. Um, but there are people I've seen who, you know, I saw this today on 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 Twitter. There was this debate between people who I respect, who are who have legal knowledge beyond me, who were debating about whether Manafort is not flipping because either a he's waiting for a pardon so he expects to, you know, I may be convicted, but I'll get a pardon versus B. And I thought this one was really interesting is that the issues that are a lot of people who who were putting forth this idea that the issues that are at play in this investigation are less about the election. They're all about Russian crime syndicates, essentially, and that when you turn on them, bad things happen. <laughs> to you. This That's is not true. about fear of the American legal system. It's not about fear of Donald Trump. It's about fear of of essentially being assassinated yeah. being you know terrible things happening to you because you flip on the mob right or your family right i mean that's the thing somebody right. could have come to manafort and say if you do this like that that's not not just you but your family they are very good at it yes very sinister about it too Ooh. you don't see a lot of people getting irradiated to death no no it's <laughs> besides the russians doing it yeah Ooh, that's scary <laughs> all right topic two <laughs> All right, so Trump does not like LeBron's game. So it was Friday evening, and President Trump was settling in for a little executive time when he turned on CNN to watch Don Lemon interview LeBron James. James was discussing his new public schools, uh, public school for at-risk kids where he's donated something like $50 million to develop. In the interview, LeBron criticized Trump for using athletes to divide the country. Well, this set off the president, who then promptly tweeted, quote, LeBron James was just interviewed by the dumbest man on television, Don Lemon. He made LeBron look smart, which isn't easy to do. Oh, I like Mike. <laughs> That's right. I, I forgot like that part. Mike. I forgot Mike. 
So here's the thing. Calling two prominent and successful African-American men dumb just adds further evidence to the claim that the president is an open racist. I just don't know how else one can interpret this. It's stupid and it's embarrassing for the country. Um, am I wrong? Somebody tell me there's another interpretation for this that Trump doesn't come across as a racist. Just because they're two black people? No, no, because he calls them dumb. Right, but and he's got this long history of doing this over and over and over. He had a feud with LeBron James like years ago too, long before he ever became president. And Don Lemon is just sticking it to him left and right. (laughs) That's true. I I I think I think it's because they're they're just people that don't like him, and he by default does not like them. I don't necessarily. I uh, it may seem like that. I don't think it's that deep. He has a history of. Oh, go ahead, Phil. Yeah. No, I I think. I'm reluctant to to paint with like broad swaths, but I think it goes deeper than you're wanting to say. Nick. So here, here's my here's that was my delicate. You say it's slower. Why did he, why did he the attack them? He attacked them because, as we've talked about, he's a reflex machine. Yeah. Anybody who says something negative about him, he's going to lash out. So mm-hmm. LeBron critiqued the president. He said that it, it, Don Lemon asked in that interview. What would you say to President Trump if you were sitting across from him? And LeBron said, I wouldn't sit across from him. I mean, he said, you know, harsh stuff. Um, I think why is he attacking them for that reason alone? Um, I think that it's, again, this sort of reflex machine not thought out. He was leaving the next day to go do rallies, political rallies in Ohio, and he's attacking LeBron James. It's not he's not like he's not a strategic thinker. I do think the difference is that he attacks anybody who attacks him, but he attacks them differently. So he attacks African-Americans differently than he does other people. So if you go back and look at all of these attacks, the accusations of dumb are not exclusively for black Americans, but they are disproportionately for African-Americans. So whereas he lashes out at other people's looks or, um, you know, he, he attacks different people for different things. There is a consistent attack against people who are African-American who he claims are dumb or something like that. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know that that's an open intentional thing, but it does reveal something very deep about how he, you know, his go to attack for a black person is you're dumb. Right, because he talks about Maxine Waters as low IQ. I will say he does, and I think you're you're right, Phil. He's he, just a jackass. <laughs> I think, but she's smart. Else. I mean, she's a Congress. I mean, uh, member of Congress. Uh, I you don't get to those positions without being smart. Let's not go down that road. All right, all right. Let's not go down that road. But I would say I would add to what to what Phil said. I think it's he attacks people of color with this low. You know, they're dumb, and the same thing with women. Like that's his go-to for the two groups that he doesn't like. Right. So the question for me is: Is it more racism? Is he more of a misogynist? I think they're both there. And it just what's that? You can be both. And and when somebody who either a woman or a person of color attacks him, that's his reaction. I think at his core, I I think he is he is absolutely a racist. I I, now did he mean this to be racist? I I I, we'd have to get inside his head. But it's just he has to. I was talking to my family about this. He has to know better than to go after LeBron James and talk about and and Don Lemon as being dumb, right? Even even if. Even if those guys were dumb, you can't use that given the history of race in America. It just, it's just, it's just a bad political move, and I think it exposes him for the racist he is. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm there, Nick. I just so think he is. If he called like a white woman that, would that be better or what? 
it, it, it might not be racist. <laughs> you know, I guess that would be. The, so my it's question the pattern. is it's the pattern. Yeah, right. Uh, when you look at the pattern of, you know, thinking about whether, you know, it calls about African countries or shithole countries. He talks about, uh, sure. you know, Maxine Waters. There's this this long history. You got to bringing her up. That's not a good case. Yeah, good I don't know. I, I, of This is when he when he talks NFL athletes. He, you know, he talks about sure. that. all that. There, to me, there seems to be a clear pattern. That's driven by racial motivation. Uh, I also think he doesn't like women. I think there's a whole host of... I think he doesn't like a lot of people. But I think to Phil's point, when he's talking about people of color, this dumb attack comes out. And it's just... Mm. It's just it's just bad, and it's it's kind of sad, Nick. Too, it's bad and sad. It is bad it, and sad. It made me, it made me sad. <laughs> so. I, I I don't know. I, I, it's it, the fact that we even have to talk about this mm-hmm. is just insane, and the frequency that we talk about it is yeah. it's just bizarre to me, and it needs to stop. Something has to happen where somebody needs to take his phone away. I'm not going to say on. it again. Yeah. Somebody needs to take his phone right. away. Well, it, you know, we're talking. We've talked about the special election in Ohio. Like, it's not smart to be attacking LeBron James right on the eve of this major election. This was not a good tactic. Now, I don't know if that's going to have any real impact, but it's still not a good idea. I'll bet his poll numbers went up after that. It's possible. <laughs> he, James is leaving again. Yeah, I don't think that's like true. He's for LA right yeah. now. Sorry. All right, drones. Let's talk drones. I love drones. Yes. Maybe not in this context. but so, On Saturday. Maybe in this context. Maybe, yeah. A drone apparently targeted Venezuela President Nicolas Maduro of Venezuela during a military parade. The president was unharmed, but it was a wild scene of soldiers. Sorry, a scene as soldiers and the public fled in panic. The populist dictator did not miss a beat and immediately blamed his political opponents and Colombia for the attack. Good news, Nick, is that the Maduro, Maduro pledges that his socialist revolution will live on. Awesome. It's not, not going to stop. Uh, most of our listeners are aware that Maduro has presided over a spectacular economic collapse in Venezuela, where inflation is expected to reach 1 million percent this year, uh, despite the country's large oil reserves. Economists blame decades of mismanagement under Maduro and his predecessor, Hugo Chavez. Uh, that someone would try to take out Maduro is not all that surprising. But the fact that they used a drone is a little eye-opening what does this suggest about the future of politics and drones it's so cool yeah i mean it's <laughs> yeah no it's weird it's bizarre it is and realistically you've seen uh, inklings of this prior you know you've seen drones dropping weapons into prisons and to some extent terrorist organizations using drones for uh, this specific purpose but from what i understand there were several drones that were attached with explosive yes. devices or something that's really, really frightening. The fact that it's so easy for anyone to get a hold of this technology and to modify it to those ends, that's really scary. Um, yeah, yes. I, I, I don't know. I, in this context, I could easily see him taking that and, you know, kind of a wag the dog type of thing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's... The uh, again the the access to technology that people have now and the access that they'll have going forward, which will just increase, it just seems to suggest that you're going to see a lot more of these types of attacks going forward. I will say before you you talk, Phil, just uh, and I jumped on predicted just to see because predicted has a market about whether Maduro will still be in power 
uh, when is it? Uh, I don't know what the time frame is, but so he it, he's gone up. The odds of him staying in power have gone up. <laughs> and then when the drone attack happened, it dropped. And he's he was about like 80, 45 percent percent, and it dropped to like the upper seventy. So wow. the markets responded. <laughs> because one way to go out of power is to be blown up. Yes, it's yes. <laughs> a pretty effective way. More effective than the political process. But I, I mean, I'm sorry, Phil. You didn't get a chance to talk. Go ahead. No, go. I, that's fine. Uh, no, I, I, I think there's a real possibility that you see more of these things that are fake attacks going forward, especially in countries like this where there are, you know, socialist dictatorships and authoritarians and anything that can uh, lend credence to the narrative that political dissidents are trying to upset the revolution or your way of life or something like that it's very easy it's very quick it's very cost effective and then you have a reason to once again tamp down on your opponents on your opponents and political dissidents it's it's i yeah it's scary it's really scary especially uh, again in countries where institutions and a freedom of the press and ability to to figure these things out is not as pronounced as it is yeah. here. So I I agree. I think it's scary. I I'm a little shocked it hasn't happened before. Yeah. And I think this is the future. Like this is gonna happen. And I I I, I not to be like too difficult, <laughs> but there's a long history of of technologies that have been invented that were terrifying and appalling to uh, us as humans until we got used to them and then we just use them all the time um and so you know like yeah, i can think back to the you know when we were when when in early 20th century when we first started dropping explosives out of airplanes it was like this is the end of the world like there's nothing so inhumane as this and now it's how we fight wars right and machine guns the idea of like this rapid fire machine gun or guerrilla attack like all through history there are these things that were developed that were like so inhumane that no one could possibly ever plan to use them until, you know, a war came along and it helped you. And then we just get used to it and it becomes sort of the new new norm. I don't that that can be depressing, I think, to assume that, like, this is just the way it's going to be. But I, I suppose the positive or the encouraging viewpoint of that is it's why there need to, you know, as new technologies, cyber, you know, it's in terms of like cyber security, cyber attacks, attacking infrastructure, drones, a lot of these things that are, you know, nanotechnology that are being developed. It's why it's important to come up with norms, right? To come yeah. up with expectations about how people behave. We have limited things like chemical weapons. Doesn't work perfectly, but when you're Syria and you use chemical weapons, it brings international condemnation. And so, you know, the majority of countries don't use chemical weapons. And so, you know, there's a hope that you can you can limit these sorts of things. But in the end, I think this is going to be warfare, right? Using drones to go blow people up. But you, you make I mean, it's, it's it's a small cruise missile, right? right like that's right. what a cruise missile is—an unmanned bomb. And you made an important distinction there. We use drones all the time in in conventional conflict right now. These are all over the place in Afghanistan and when we were in Iraq. What was different about this is that somebody used a drone against the head of state. That's what was unique. Uh, these are very very effective on the battlefield, uh, and it's not. It's it's almost surprising it didn't happen sooner that somebody mm-hmm. said, "Hey, we can use this against the head of state." Or to Nick's point, use this to create the uh, the allure of an attack, so right. we can crack down on our opponents. Well, that's the thing. Like, there's a difference between the drones that you know we use in many countries in you know, around the world and the 
consumer-based models that were used in an attack like this, yeah. which makes me think that this was a very... It, it's either a very uh, small group of people within the country that were trying to make a statement, or it's the regime that's in power using something that was very, again, quick and easy to, to implement. It's, yeah, it, it's the destructive capabilities of what something like this could do compared to what a Predator drone can do in, like, Pakistan is right. worlds right. apart. Yes. But the fact that everyone is has access to this stuff and they're very easy to, to purchase and to repair and to modify, yeah, it's it's hard not to see this going for. They're very loud and they're very slow, so I, I imagine you can just kind of walk out of the way at some point or throw a rock at it but um slingshot nevertheless if there's a swarm then that's an issue that's a swarm a, of drones it's a bill muck move right when when you're when you were the leader of the faculty and people started getting unruly you asked me to tie some black cats to a drone and fly it in <laughs> that's right you're gonna claim an assassination it's, attempt it's very effective to consolidate, to consolidate power <laughs> All right, time to move on. <laughs> All right, next topic, foreign policy. One administration, two foreign policies. So I, I, I'm believing that we're witnessing a fascinating development in U.S. foreign policy. We have one administration, but within that administration, we're seeing two distinct foreign policies. For example, this week, President Trump has touted his North Korean diplomacy and the nice letter Mr. Uh, Kim Jong-un sent him. He has reminisced about his great meeting with Putin and even offered to meet with Iran's president, Hassan Rouhani, without any preconditions. During those same five days, the administration has imposed sanctions on the Russian bank, pushed back on North Korea, and listed stringent preconditions for any kind of engagement with Iran. In fact, the administration's top intelligence and law enforcement officials held a collective press conference where they vowed to combat Russian interference in the midterm elections. The administration says there's nothing going on here, nothing to see, and that everyone is on the same page, but that's clearly not the case. Phil, thoughts on this dual-track diplomacy? Um, it, is, it is really fascinating, because typically a president, if they have disagreements with their top people, right, you look at, you know, McNamara under LBJ, or, you know, you see examples of of uh, top foreign policy officials who disagree with a president. And that usually leads to their resignation. Either they resign or they're fired or they agree to part ways because the president wants people who re who reflect his views. And it feels like that would be hard to do to find someone to reflect the president's views in this administration because the president's views change from day to day. They're so unpredictable. You know, the the sort of attack on Iran followed by an offer to meet with them with no preconditions is like, how could you possibly predict that? So I think what's happening is that the, the people behind the scenes are trying to carry out foreign policy. And I think I, I sort of suspect that they're trying to keep most of it out of Trump's orbit. So we'll do it and Trump won't, you know, won't have just won't be involved for the most part. But I think in the end, Trump's foreign policy is the foreign policy because once Trump, you know, you can you can push for sanctions against Iran all you want. You can push for, you know, firm stance on North Korea. But the instant that the president tweets out, I'm going to go meet with the with the Iranian regime or I'm going to go meet with North Korea. That's what happens. Right. The president's foreign policy is the foreign policy. So I think you have people behind the scenes who are trying to do this. But their success is limited to the extent to which they can keep Trump's attention away from the stuff that they're doing, I think. That was pretty smart, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I agree with that statement, Phil. Um, it's, I think you're finally starting to see a coalescence of 
standards and procedures within the administration that does not involve Trump. Uh, while I I agree to some extent that his influence is still a, a very heady thing to deal with, you're also seeing that I, I think that they're coming to the understanding that if they counter what he says in very stringent means, that especially from a foreign policy standpoint, the countries that are involved in that are also not willing to talk to Trump directly. Rouhani specifically said, yeah, we're not meeting with Trump in any way, shape, or form because you can't trust the United States, whether that's a historical thing or it's because, you know, the administration is talking out of both sides of its mouth at this point. Um, It takes some of that power away from him. It It might not be a an ideal solution but it does limit his ability to just be a complete loose cannon on things which i'll I'll call that a win Mm -hmm. in the current situation that we're in yeah i I think that's right go ahead phil no i mean i think in the end though if he's a loose cannon he he wins right so that that like nato is the counter so if we're not talking about adversaries we're talking about allies all the people around trump can do all they want to reassure NATO allies that NATO is important to the US but as long as Trump is out front and center talking about you know fuck NATO then that that's Mm -hmm. that's America right that's going to be the perception of our NATO allies if the president's saying that that's it doesn't matter how much assurance you get from the Secretary of State if the president has made it clear that he's not willing to you know come to the aid of a NATO ally then that's policy I think that's absolutely right and to your earlier point I think you're right what's happened is that the administration has shifted Rex Tillerson is gone all the key players now Trump likes Pompeo, Mattis, John Bolton. These are all his buddies and they're smart enough to know to not push Trump, to not call him an idiot. Uh, so they, they say, let's do our thing. We'll let Trump do his thing and we won't get in the way. And I think ultimately that's probably better for the country to have mm-hmm. those guys regulating. And again, all these white men regulating U.S. foreign policy. But at a deeper level, this is awful because to, to Phil's point, the president is the one who should dictate foreign policy. And if we're tiptoeing around hoping that the president doesn't know what's going on, that's deeply, deeply troubling. We didn't elect, elect Mike Pompeo or John Bolton or Mattis. We elected Donald Trump. And so he should be the one. So even though he has no idea what he's doing, the fact that we've settled on this situation where we're saying, like, well, we'll just let him send his tweets and do his thing, and we're going to be the adults in the room, it's it's really really problematic and it's not good foreign policy and then you're still stuck with his whims when he comes in and he says things it's just it's not it's not how you it's not how you run an administration it's just <laughs> awful but so so to to go a little bit to i don't know push you a little bit on that we didn't elect pompeo or tillerson we did elect donald trump yeah. and donald trump made it clear that he thought you know fuck nato was a thing when he got elected right right? and his attacks on on nafta and his you know rhetoric towards north korea so yeah no that's right he i don't don't, but i don't think that should be our foreign policy so i don't i don't it's hard it's a hard you know how how do you how do you support that if he's crazy but that's his craziness is part of what got him in power he should given the institution he should have the right to dictate foreign policy the fact that he's doing that terrifies me. I'm. I feel much better. I don't always agree with Pompeo, and I generally don't agree with with John Bolton. Uh, Mattis, I think, is is fairly solid. But but those guys are legitimate foreign policy establishment, right? They they understand the issues. They know what's going on. They do the research. Trump does none of that. So we're better served by that contingent. 
but institutionally it deeply troubles me that this is where we're at where we're like hiding from the president and hoping he doesn't get uh, worked up mm-hmm. yeah it's agreed bad. it's bad nick it's bad <laughs> it's bad all right this this last topic's gonna be fun though mm-hmm. um all right. So on Monday, YouTube, Facebook, and Apple took steps. <laughs> so Phil's giving us a thumbs up <laughs> to remove any online content associated with Infowars and its founder Alex Jones. Jones each claimed that Jones had violated their code of conduct. Uh, it removed many top channels associated with Infowars, including Al- the Alex Jones channel, which had 2.4 million subscribers. I was surprised wow. by that number. And videos that were viewed over 1.5 billion times. Uh, quote, when users violate policies repeatedly, like our policies against hate speech and harassment on our or our terms prohibiting circumvention and enforcement. Oh, it's a long But basically, YouTube says that he's gone too far. While InfoWars has a huge following and it's known for spreading false information and conspiracy theories on a host of issues. Um, for, you know, one example is Jones has repeatedly suggested that the Sandy Hook massacre was a hoax. Obviously, these big companies absolutely have the right to do so. Should we applaud or be concerned by this development? Uh, this is an interesting question. Nick, do you want to start us off on this one? Why you got to throw? Because you, well, you're 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 our media guy. Okay. Um, <laughs> he's he's a, he's an idiot. But Alex Jones, he is. Yes. Well, realistically, some of the stuff that he puts out there is it's horrible and it's completely false, and some of it is. I, just it's reprehensible Mm -hmm. nevertheless you have people like louis farrakhan on these these sites and you have channels for isis support and al-qaeda supporters and other terrorist organizations and the fact that i understand that he had a huge following on these platforms but considering that there are there like i it, it just baffles me that they all took the step at the same time to do this and pretty much take away his voice on any, not necessarily any public media, but anything that is related to a company that isn't directly related to him. He no longer has a voice to put his opinions out there. I don't agree with him in any way, shape, or form. I do agree that he has he should have the right to express them. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I find it more disturbing than anything. He can else. still express them. He just can't express them through YouTube, Apple, or I agree. <laughs> yeah. But we're also in this discussion about whether or not these things need to be regulated by the right. government, Absolutely. and whether this this is a now a public institution that people have, you know, the the right to say anything that they want on, and it's right. protected by the First Amendment. If that's the discussion that we're having, this is not a good precedent to set when you're trying to at least in some sort of perception you're trying to censor someone mm-hmm. because of their opinion again he's a jackass i don't agree with him but he has his sure. he should he has his right to say what he says phil Alex Jones is a terrible person. <laughs> this this should be applauded. I, I so I think yes, it's good that he's gone. I think all those other people that you mentioned Nick should also be taken off of these things, right? If you're if it's not it's not that I disagree with Alex Jones. It's the 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 sort of hateful it's it's the the extent to which he incur like the the alex jones followers who have sought out families of sandy hook people and harassed them and attacked them that's the sort of thing that is you know when when you when you engage in that level of stuff then yeah you facebook and and itunes has the right to take you down um 
I don't feel bad for him. He still has the right to put up his own website and still continue to publish his, uh, you know, the, 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 if he wants to continue doing his podcast, he can do it. He just can't do it through, um, iTunes and, you know, wherever Spotify, I think took him down as well. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm not, I'm not losing a whole lot of sleep over this at the same time. I don't think maybe applauding isn't the right word. I think in some ways the, the, the response shouldn't be applause. It should be finally, right? Like, I don't think, I don't think that iTunes should be like, yeah, iTunes, Apple has like moral character and they're upright. Like this has become because of pressure from people, right? The reason they're taking it down is because they had a whole bunch of pissed off people. So it's, you know, we've talked about in the past with, with, with Roseanne and CBS about whether CBS was doing the right thing or whether it was, you know, a financial decision. It, it can be the right thing still done for financial decisions. I don't think that Apple and these other people were doing it because, you know, they firm, they finally, after years of hosting Alex Jones were like, Oh, now I see he's a bad person. That's not new information to them. It was that the pressure from opponents became greater than the support from people who wanted to see Alex Jones. I think it's an interesting question where now suddenly we have, so is the corporate world going to be taking responsibility for this or does the government intervene to say, you know, we're going to help regulate this. I, I don't think Alex Jones, I mean, I, I, I think Apple and iTunes and I mean, all of uh, YouTube, they have the right to do this. Facebook has the right to do this. What, what he spreads is hate speech. I mean, it's, it's, it's false, it's conspiracy theories, and I think you're right on the left, they should do the same thing. Um, or, or companies should have the right to do that, to set their own parameters. It's messy once they start doing that. Yeah. So now when Apple weighs in on this, now they've got to, there should be pressure for all of this, right? When you're using conspiracy theories and hate speech, you've got to start getting people on all different sides, including... ISIS and all of them, although they've been going after ISIS because that's an easy one. But yeah, it, it puts the corporate world in this really, really uncomfortable position and a place I don't think they're going to be particularly good at that. But I do tend to think but, that Alex Jones is an easy case. But it's a part of the corporate world that chose to do this, right? So iTunes is, they saw, they said, hey, we can make money by doing nothing except yeah. providing a place for everybody to put their information. It's not like you know, it's not like GM is making cars and the cars have swastikas on them, right? Mm -hmm. Like it, it's, it's that Apple is, you know, they, they have chosen to go into a realm in which they are saying, Hey, anybody can say anything they want on here. And so I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily feel all that bad for them. They've made a shitload of money off of this. And so I, I don't know. I don't even know where I was going with that. But I mean, it's it's a decision that they made. It's not the entire corporate world that's having to make these sure. sorts of decisions, right? If you make diapers for a living, you're not having to make a decision about whether Nazis are welcome to put their stuff on your diapers. It's that iTunes has decided <laughs> that gonna we're going to make our <laughs> money by we're going to make our money by promoting other people's stuff. Mm -hmm. And so when you do that, you have to deal with the fact that other people have crazy ass ideas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so they've chosen to get into this realm. So right. well, I, I, I don't I, 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 again, I question whether or not they should be the moral authority. Uh, again, yeah. if there are, if these right. are the only platforms that we have, realistically, yeah, you can put up a podcast. There's plenty of different sites, but these are the ones where everyone goes. And mm -hmm. that's the only way you get your opinion out there. We wouldn't put ours on iTunes unless we thought people were going to listen to it on there. Right. And realistically, 
it gets to a point now where Facebook has over a billion people using it on a daily basis, and Apple has even more people using their software and their hardware on top of Google and Amazon and everything else that these things are attached to. When does it become something different than just a company saying, oh, God, there's a lot of people that are pissed about this. we got to shut it down. Just shut it down. You know, mm-hmm. We can't do this anymore. And when does it become something that is a deeper, more nuanced conversation than that? I, like, I, I, and and I, like, I, I hate to go down this road, but there's also a personal responsibility aspect to this. People say stupid shit all the time. And yeah, some people take that to heart and do stupid things with it. But uh, broadcasting an opinion to some extent does not necessarily all the time equate to a vast majority of the population or even a single individual being directly influenced on it to cause a really violent action. I think in this situation, again, it's horrible. And there, there might be a precedent, especially with Alex Jones, that he has influenced somebody. But to make that tie directly is very, very difficult i to, think to think about it, i'm thinking about the the gay baking case the masterpiece case right we, we were saying in that instance that the baker has the right to make choices about what kind of company he wants to be well we have to extend that to say apple and youtube and facebook they have the right to be the company that they want to be even if they're really really big and massive he's and not I, making cakes for everybody on the fucking planet it's a different kind of company <laughs> no, i don't know i think they have the right to say we don't want to be associated with alex jones isis whoever it might be they've got that choice now i get what you're saying in terms of the size of twitter and facebook as as like the main mechanisms but i still think the, corp- the corporations have the right to make these choices the, the the solution in my mind is back to what we were talking about with politicians which ideally you have principles and you stand up for that and if you lose votes then you lose votes because your principles matter it's I, in my mind like Apple should, rather than like trying to feel out these markets, just say, you know what, Nazis, I think they're bad, and you can't have a Nazi podcast on right. iTunes. That's it. I, that's how I feel. And if you don't like that, you can be pissed off at me. But instead, it's always this like soft, like just have you know, a, a small corporation would be able to would make these decisions about. You know, I, I see stuff in small town, you know, all the time. They take stands on political issues and yeah. on local community issues. Just do that. Apple, right? Like, say, we don't like Nazis. That's it. Like, you can't be, you know, Alex Jones, we think he violates our sense of what's right, and we're going to take them off the air. It's but a, at least it's, but it's own messy. what you're doing. Own yeah. what you're doing, right? Yeah. As opposed to trying to figure out, hey, we have these terms of service, and we think it violates this one particular thing. Just say it. Alex Jones is bad. We don't want him on our podcast. And the fact our... that, that all three of them did at the same time, I think uh, a point that you made earlier, Phil, like there's not a whole lot of courage in these, right. these three companies. That's they, they did at the same, at the same time to cover their butts. <laughs> and yeah, uh, but I, I still i am happy they made that decision. I think that's better for discourse when you... You don't eliminate that speech, but you say we're not going to tolerate that speech on our platform. Mm-hmm. This is a fun. It's kind of depressing, but this was an interesting one. I guess it was. Yeah, quite. Yeah. Um, some other things as I stall for time. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. If you like the podcast, um, have questions about what we're discussing, have uh, comments or beer suggestions, anything like that. Uh, hit us up on Twitter at Barstool Paul P O L, Facebook uh, at Barstool Politics. 
the Untapped app, you can find all the beers that we try uh, and reviews. Uh, so that's on iOS and Android. Download it on there. Uh, the podcast, find us on SoundCloud and um, Google Play Music and uh, Stitcher, most major podcasting platforms. Most of you are on iTunes, so like us, share us, review us on there. Um, and yeah, if you weren't here at the beginning of the podcast, uh, we just you know wanted to mention again, uh, you know we've done a, a partnership with the guys that predict it. Uh, it's a real money political prediction market, uh, pretty much a stock market for politics, where you can buy or sell shares uh, in future political events. Uh, we have a, a specific offer for Barstool Politics listeners. So if you open up a twenty dollar account, they will match you uh, up to twenty dollars. Um, all you have to do is go to the promo link, predicted.org slash promo slash barstool, Paul, P-O-L-2-0. Uh, we'll put that up on, on social media so everybody can find that as well. That's great. Did I miss anything Got else? Got it all, I'm Nick. Out of well breath. done. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anything else, guys? We're good. Great. We'll see you next week then. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.